Women's football is commercially viable. Yeah. Women's football talks to a new audience. Women's football has the power to ch change culture. Yeah. And it's such a powerful tool to speak to the next generation. Welcome to the summit. This is Phil's Adventures podcast where we interview amazing people from all over the UK about their personal and their work journeys. We're here today with uh, Helen, who is the founder of Foudies. It's quite a mouthful to say uh, <laughs> together. What an honor to have you here. Thank you so much for coming to see us at Phil's Adventures and what a journey you've had to date. So just for full clarity, we're an investor in Foudies, super supporter of you and your team and what you're trying to achieve. Helen, why don't you tell us about Foudies, when you started it, why you started it and where you are today and your journey? Yeah, it's been a relatively short journey yeah. by, by all stretches. So I'm a big women's football fan. Yeah. I'm a big football fan okay. primarily. Uh, from Newcastle and growing up my only real experience of football was men's football I actually didn't really know that women played football to be honest I thought I was maybe a, yeah. a little bit alone in that I'd go to all the, the camps and stuff with, where the boys were and there'd be me and maybe a couple of other girls probably all in England internationals now <laughs> <laughs> the only one that didn't make it but in in my day it was it was very much a men's yeah. sport a male dominated sport and then growing up what I started to see was little trinkets of the women's game sort of creeping into into my life and I was starting to see it more on TV and I think in 2015 the BBC aired the World Cup for the first time and it was in Canada so it was in the middle of the night and I remember becoming obsessed like I was like late for work and stuff because yeah. I was watching the Women's World Cup at two o'clock in the morning and I started to follow it really closely. I went out to the Netherlands in 2017 to watch it and then in 2019 as a shirt collector I was buzzing at the announcement that the international women's teams would have their own bespoke football kit. So they have their own kit designed for them. And it felt so special to me because as a marketeer, as someone that worked in marketing, I was like, this is the best brand awareness tool. If I see someone walking down the street in an Australia jersey, I don't know if they're supporting the men or the women. Whereas yeah. now it's going to be so clear yeah. that they're supporting the men or the women. And so I was so excited to start seeing that drip feed into my life to be walking down the high street and see someone in a lioness's shirt. And that's not what happened. I was walking around in 2019 at the Women's World Cup in France and people were wearing the men's shirts. And I was thinking, you've made the effort to fly out to France, spent the money that I've spent to be here, which was a lot of money, and you're wearing men's football shirts. So talking to fans, it was essentially came down to accessibility, that they wanted those products. They were beautiful, bespoke products built by the big brands, but they couldn't get hold of them. They didn't know where they were. And if, if they were on the websites, they were hidden away yeah. behind photos of Arsenal men's team or, yeah. or Ronaldo or whatever. And so at the time, it, I sort of planted that seed in the back of my mind, should be a platform where fans can go of the women's game and they can get those products. Little did I know it would end with me sitting in here having a chat with you. At the time, <laughs> it was just a thought in my mind. And then... Um, that thing happened called COVID and yeah. the pandemic was a real moment of reassessment for me as a person. I was in a really good job working in marketing. I was helping businesses to grow, to exit. I was kind of getting a real eye into what it was to be a business owner, working directly with business owners and supporting them. And I was like, I think I could do this. I think I have that entrepreneurial spirit as a person to, to do something like this. And it was when that kind of of that memory came back to me and I was thinking again about my passion about my love for the women's game about my want to grow the women's game and my obsession almost around doing that and that's when I launched Foudies 
at the time, I was a bit naive and I named it after a woman called Julie Foudy, who was a talisman of change back in the 90s, um, a US women's national team player. And it was a bit naive because <laughs> could have had a lawsuit pending. <laughs> but now, flash forwards, what, two and a bit years, um, Julie Foudy's an ambassador of the company. Wow. Um, we've, we've grown to, to being a team of, I can't remember what it is now, six of us, seven of us. And of course, investment from Fearless Adventures, who have been the most incredible partner in this process. And that's how I would describe Fearless Adventures, because they have supported, they've not inhibited or they've not caused barriers or hurdles. It's just been a support of the work that we're doing, but with giving that expert advice and having people on the ground that I can call and chat to and bounce off and, and help to sort of grow this business to what it is today. Amazing. Well, very, very nice words. Thank you and fearless. But what an amazing journey. So when did you actually start Foudis then? What, when was that? It was December 2020. I remember okay. the 13th of December. Yeah. And the reason was, what a weird time to launch an e-commerce platform <laughs> in the middle of the Christmas rush. Yeah. I'd actually been fighting to get WSL lettering, WSL yeah. being the Women's yeah. Super League, the lettering that goes on the back of the shirts for maybe eight to nine months. Wow. And um, I had really like toiled yeah. over it. I'd been going back to the FA on numerous occasions and trying to find out where I could source this lettering. At the time, only Arsenal offered that. None of the retailers did. None of the football clubs did. So only Arsenal were offering the bespoke women's lettering. Yeah. And I was thinking, you can't walk around town in a Viv Miedemar jersey with Premier League lions on the sleeve. It makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, let me sell this, let me do this. And uh, I wasn't really getting any response because it was just little old me in my bedroom. So I got the deal on the 12th of December. Wow. And overnight, I remember just sitting in my bedroom, like laptop on my knees. And I was just building like a, a website. Yeah. I didn't never done anything like that before in my yeah. life. It was rubbish. It didn't look great. <laughs> um, and I was just adding, you know, products, Arsenal, yeah. Manchester United, Manchester yeah. City, at the time, I had no deals with any of the brands like Nike. Right. I was literally buying an Arsenal shirt off the shelf in yeah. Sports Direct. And then I was printing the lettering on the back wow. and posting it out. And my whole plan was prove the viability because everywhere I was being told that women's football wasn't commercially viable. But I was going out and sitting in the stands and all I was seeing was people wanting those products. Yeah. So I was like, there's no data to back this up because <laughs> no one else is trying this. Yeah. So... I got the, the rights on the 12th of December, 2020, and I launched on the 13th of December, 2020. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Overnight then. Overnight. Yeah. And it was at the, at the time, obviously pre-pandemic, I was doing it basically as like a sideline thing. Yeah. It was the pandemic of like this sort of sideline bedroom project yeah. that made me go, this is the real deal. This is something that I really want to dive into and, and really go for it. And what was the turning point? You know, you say people were sceptical on the commercial viability of this. At what point did you have to stop chasing others to get access versus them coming to you? That's still a problem. What we're two and a bit years in. I think that I, I don't really know when the, the change came for me in terms of, I guess, my credibility. Yeah. But there certainly has been a change yeah. for me. Yeah. It's so difficult because as a woman, I find it really difficult to talk about myself in a really positive way or to big myself up. It's something that is a real challenge for me even now. But there was a definite turning point in the last six to eight months. Yeah. There was, I think, catalysts of change where I, I really don't know how or why, but I got a call from the National Lottery and they put my face on the steps of Wembley wow. as, a, a, as a portrait, which for me was um, obviously incredibly shocking. But what came from that was 
people reaching out to me. I remember Adidas sending me some boots in the post just to say well done. I mean, like, whoa, I get free stuff now. What's this about? So I think that that's still a process in terms of people seeing my credibility, yeah. but I see that as my biggest hurdle as a business because although I'm not competing with any other retailers, all the other retailers in the sports world have been around for decades. They've been in existence, they're household names. Yeah. So when I come along, people go, is this legitimate? And when you're spending 130 quid on a bespoke football shirt with all of the trimmings, yeah. you need to know it's legitimate. So in the first few months or years of, of growing the business, it was like, I promise you I'm real. <laughs> like, I promise it's real. I tried to use myself as like yeah. putting myself at the front of it and saying like, I'm here and, yeah. and I'm the one printing the shirts. Yeah. And I hope that I hold some credibility in this industry as somebody that is so passionate about the women's game. Now I feel like kind of turning a corner yeah. a little bit where brands kind of come to me and people come to me and people want to work with with Foudis. Well, I think from a lot of big brands perspective, because they've paid no attention to the women's game, right? They're actually, they, they don't actually even understand how to participate in it. Um, yeah. So having someone like you that can actually say, well, this is what you need to do. These are what you need to think about. You know, these are the specific issues. I think is like fantastic that you have that dialogue. Amazing. It, it, it's been incredible because yeah. the openness, especially in the last few months, for brands and clubs yeah. to be listening and, and opening themselves up to change is huge. You've got to remember, we talked to a very famous Premier League club today that also has a WSL club. And essentially you're dealing with a 125-year-old institution that has built their rhetoric around a working class male dominant demographic and i put a tweet out yesterday because it was the only way i could capture the data i was like hey women's football fans how many of you also follow the men's game um and then i think the three answers or three options were i equally follow women's and men's yeah. i only follow women's or i follow a little bit of men's and 51 percent of 500 people that answered in the last 24 hours said to me i only follow the women's or i follow a little bit of men's combined so like basically over half the audience haven't really got interest in this part of the product that you're yeah. offering. And yet all of your rhetoric is mirroring what you've done for 125 years. Yeah. You've grown this brand, which is evolved over a specific demographic. Yeah. And now you're speaking to an entirely new customer base, yeah. i.e. women, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i.e. the LGBTQ plus community, yeah. ABC one, yeah. social groupings, yeah. like a totally different group of people are interested in the women's game that weren't before and we have the opportunity to really authentically speak to them and now clubs are really recognizing that so it's little things like the club in question we're talking about the fashion surrounding women's football that yeah. we don't really have in the men's game yeah. the women's players and what they wear is so important to fans like we're starting to add it to our website and what we offer yeah. if lucy bronze wears a certain pair of nike dunks they will sell out for those <laughs> nike dunks because Lucy Bronze wore yeah, them yeah, and she's yeah. wicked. So it's kind of leading the way yeah. that fans are interacting with the clubs yeah. by them sort of adapting their style. And they're starting to recognise that, which is Amazing. super exciting. That's really, really good. So obviously you started in the UK. Talk to me about kind of your international ambitions, the US. Yeah, I think we're just really skimming the surface at the moment, yeah. simply because we've launched in Manchester. Yeah. And <laughs> it's so easy to speak to a UK market yeah. when you exist in that sphere. Yeah. Um, going over to the NWSL, I've been a fan for a long time as Port Portland Thorns. I'm repping them today. There you go. Um, and I've always loved Portland Thorns because of their community, yeah. because of the way that they kind of 
present their brand. So I could be sitting in Manchester and really feel connected to a club on the other side of the world. But we really are just talking to European fans right now. Yeah. And the biggest part of the market sits over the pond yeah. in Canada and America. Yeah. Uh, it is soccer is a women's sport in America. I think if you asked any fan on the street to name a soccer player, they'd probably say Rapino or Alex wow. Morgan before they'd say Pulisic. Wow. So I feel like the connection to the US market is crucial. Yeah. And I think that we are going to have to adapt our style to make that work. Yeah. And that was so paramount when we were there a few weeks ago. We went to watch San Diego and Angel City. And I met up with Julie Foudy, who's the ambassador of, of Foudy's. And when we were there, it was like a totally different energy, different vibe, like the culture, the food, the community, the connection to the LGBTQ plus community, which was so prominent. Yeah. And all of those things just meant I came away going, we, wow. we've got work to do. <laughs> like our style, the way we talk to people is just going to have to completely yeah. change in order to make this work. It's almost like, I wonder whether we need feet on the ground. I wonder whether that's our next big step as yeah. a company to really infiltrate that market. But then I also think having Julie Foudy at the helm is huge for us. She's the yeah. owner of Angel City, which yeah. is the biggest club in American women's soccer. She co-owns it with Natalie Portman and Serena Williams. It's yeah. like the celeb crew. That's cool. And their connection to their community is huge. So using her as a knowledge bank and getting support from her to reach that market, I think will be huge for us. And then just listening and yeah. communicating with the fans and just really taking it in because yeah. I'm going to have to learn a lot. And do you think there's something we can bring back from the US and bring back to the UK in terms of the way women's football's thought about over there? Can we, like, can we take lessons from them? Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> And how do you do that? By having the conversations like I had today with yeah. that famous football British yeah. football club. I think they're open to it. So we're seeing a bit of a, since the win in yeah. 2022, I'm sure you know which yeah. win I'm referencing, <laughs> the Lionesses lifting the trophy, obviously, yeah. changed the game really yeah. because what it did is it cemented what I already knew. I wouldn't have launched a business if I didn't know it, which yeah. is women's football is commercially viable. Yeah. Women's football talks to a new audience. Women's football has the power to ch change culture yeah. and it's such a powerful tool to speak to the next generation and I think by the clubs opening their doors and being open to that change which yeah. I'm now seeing especially over the last few months uh, going into the new season I think by them doing that yeah. they're, they're listening a lot more yeah. and the club today were like I think we should fly over to the west coast yeah. of America and go to a game yeah. the fact is they're obviously going to it's pounds and pence isn't it and San Diego Wave are a team that were formed a year ago and got 31,000 for an average game. They'll get 30,000 people going to the wow. stadium. By any stretch, that's, that's, that's a decent turnout. Yeah. And, the, and the ticket prices are $25, $30, $40. Yeah. So we're not talking freebies being given away. People genuinely want to go. And we want to know why. They want to know why. Yeah. And similarly, that's reflected across the NWSL, other clubs, 25, 30,000 people. This is an incredibly popular sport. Yeah. Why? So... The clubs in the UK being open to that, I think, will hopefully like shift and change the narrative on how they sell to a women's football audience versus the day before, maybe or the day after, where they're talking to a men's football audience. They're different yeah. groups, yeah. people, yeah. Um, and I think they're recognising that for sure. Sounds like an incredible journey to date. Come on, it mustn't have been that easy. What were the real, oh my God, is this actually going to work moments? You know what? I think no one really ever asked me that question because I think when you're an entrepreneur, when you're building a business, I think people are so afraid 
who not they they want to talk about the glass ceiling yeah. as if it's achievable for everyone. Yeah. And this isn't me trying to crush people's dreams. <laughs> They're gonna be like, you won't be able to do it. You're gonna fail. Um, I genuinely believe it's it's a certain type of person and a certain type of mentality that gets any business person yeah. to a point of turning that corner to you know. And I I hate the word success because what is that? Such a blanket word, and it doesn't really mean anything because success can be different for everybody. But I think being an entrepreneur and building a business, there've been more lows than highs. Like I'll take probably the biggest achievement the company has has got, which is signing a Nike contract and having a partnership with Nike and an incredible relationship with Nike. I think other people would be like, "Oh, well done, mate. That must have been loads of work." They don't really want to know how hard it was. Yeah. So before launching my business, December twenty twenty, I made a six minute video which I found like a month ago. We were laughing our heads off looking at it in the <laughs> office. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> so I made a six minute video about the journey of the women's game. Yeah. How it was banned uh, for 50 years. We weren't actually allowed to play. It was outlawed in the UK. And how we've built from 1970 to this point through essentially like a movement, yep. through really brave women stepping up and trying to be counted. And I sent, made this video. I think I ended with, and I thought no one else is doing it, so I'll just do it. Boom! That's obviously the title. <laughs> so we were all in the office, like, "Oh, oh Helen, why?" What is that? Yeah. So we, I made this video and I sent it to info at nike.com, <laughs> info at nike.co.uk, <laughs> hello at nike.com. It's like trying all of these email addresses, and obviously never got a response. Yeah. So I, I found a couple of LinkedIn contacts. I'm desperately trying to sort of reach into Nike from yeah. my bedroom, yeah. and naturally it didn't happen. Yeah. And that process is like a level of resilience that is unmatched. I think in any other part of my life, because I remember first getting on a call with the incredible Liz Alotta Beerhoff, who works heavily within Nike in the women's game, and we were approaching the Euros. And so I'd been a year and a bit into the journey. I was talking with Fearless at the time, and it was like hammering at a door almost embarrassing like yeah. that that like trying to get on a date with somebody that just didn't <laughs> want to date you um and just being told we love what you're doing keep going yeah, you, yeah. you know you're doing great stuff and at the time remember i was buying a shirt from the shelf for 70 quid and selling it for 70 quid yeah. so i was making zero pounds zero pence yeah. and i was working in a pub yeah. and i was at, like trying to present on the surface this person that was like turning over millions and like living this high life because I want to present to the brands like this is comfortably the best thing you will ever do and I remember eight nine ten conversations into Nike I remember Lizzie Lottie at the end of a conversation just going I'm gonna message this guy called Fabian he's the head of partnerships for Europe he'll say no because Nike have shut down the partnership system five years ago they won't reopen it and he'll say no, but I'm gonna ask the question. And then I pressed her the week later. I remember approaching the start of the Euros, I pressed her the week after. And then I remember Fabian agreeing to a call with me and then me creating an entirely new pitch deck to present to him and saying, can I come to Amsterdam to meet you? I don't know how I'm gonna pay for that, but I'll pay for it. <laughs> and then Fabian be like, it's gonna be a no, but I'll ask the question for you. Yeah. And it was constantly, it's gonna be a no. And it was constantly like, if, we, if it's a no, the entire business model that I've built crumbles. Yeah. And then Fabian come back to me and being like, it might be a yes. And we've been like, 
that means it's a yes. <laughs> yeah. That was all I had Done. to cling on. That was like that was all I had to cling on to. Yeah. And so Nike rebuilt their partnership system internally so they could add us to the system wow. and then reclose the partnership system down again. Right. So we became the twenty fourth partner of Nike in Europe. Yeah. Of which the twenty three others are household names. Yeah. The biggest sports brands wow. in the world. And it was because I so heavily lent into our USP. Yeah. I was like, is anyone else doing this? I was yeah. like, go on the Sports Direct website right now. What do you see? The faces of men. Yeah. Like, like, wake up. Yeah. And, and I think it was my persistence, my yeah. resilience, and my, I wasn't willing for them to say no. That they were like, fine, we'll rebuild the internal <laughs> system. Just go, go away. away. <laughs> and now it just feels like a distant memory. And yeah. I think my sister said to me yesterday, you need to you need to vlog because or create a video diary because you will forget this part of yeah. your journey. Like now with a team of people around me, including the fearless team, it's hard to remember being alone yeah. in the office at like yeah. 9 p.m. Right, creating another pitch deck for Nike and just thinking this is going to crumble. Like it. I know this is probably not going to work, but I'm like I was really. Yeah. And I was telling everyone on the outside as well, like, oh, I'm so close to, close to signing Nike. <laughs> like, it's coming. My mum and dad were like, really? Um, but I, was, I just had to be yeah. resilient to it. And remembering that is crucial because remembering those moments really sort of paved the way for the resilience you need yeah. now. Yeah. Every day you've got hurdles and things that you're going to face as a business yeah. owner that almost see you at the brink. Those constant battles that I need to remember and need to... Yeah focus on to help me to lift me forwards yeah as you said you know as entrepreneurs you kind of always focus on the highs and you hope you try and forget the lows right because yeah. actually it's all about stepping ahead and, and moving forward and you know as you said resilience is like such an important underestimated skill i think as an entrepreneur like it's huge yeah 100 percent. and and I, I think you're spot on i think you're that you're one of the first people that i've spoken to about the lows because yeah. people are like and then you got Nike, <laughs> and then you got Adidas. As yeah, if it's yeah. like, it's easy. yeah, I just yeah, smashed yeah. through those. Gave him a call. Though, yeah, it was like, <laughs> oh, my pal Dave, who works in. I knew no one. Yeah. I have not come from yeah. anyone in the football world. None of my family, yeah. n- none of my friends. I had no connections. Yeah. It was about on those days where I didn't want to be at that game because yeah. I was really tired. I knew that potentially at that game I would meet somebody that would yeah. help me to create that connection, that would help me to get that contract. That was crucial to my survival yeah and it sounds dramatic but I wouldn't be here today yeah if it wasn't for the resilience of like it'll happen for me it's gonna happen for me and that's still happening right now I'm not sitting here on a yacht or anything (laughs) working hard (laughs) yeah so now obviously a lot of brands really want to get on involved in women's football is there a risk that some of them are just using you a little bit because they don't haven't figured it out themselves or don't want to figure it out but want to be part of it I think authenticity is really key and I don't think we necessarily see that from all the brands, but yeah. I also think the consumer isn't blind to that. Yeah. So I don't think the consumer sits there and goes, oh, amazing, this company is like, I'm going to go start buying their yeah. brand or I'm going to start using their service because they back women's football. I think the fans are really aware of where yeah. we were yeah. and where we are and the journey that it's taken. Yeah. And anybody really that's that's invested in the women's game there is a real clear authenticity. You can see that it's it's more than that. Yeah. I think a prime example would be um, the football club that I launched. The brand that have invested in the football club chose not to put their name on the front. They donated the sponsorship to a women's and men's football podcast called Stadio, which is epic. It's yeah. the reason they did it. Is two reasons: like 
they're really cool. Yeah. So they were like, this is re- going to be really cool for your football club to yeah. have this brand on the front. And number two, because it's authentic. Yeah. And anybody that wants to know about the sort of deep roots of the the shirt and where it's come from, know about the connection to Avery Dennison. And those authentic ties mean so much more than slapping Leah Williamson on a billboard yeah. alongside your packet of crisps or yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever it is. And I think the fans see through it. So it frustrates me because I've been knocking at doors since 2019 and I did a women's football podcast back in 2019 for the Women's World Cup that was just in like a fun yeah. project. Uh, we called it tongue in cheek. It was called uh, Two Girls World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so we had this podcast and it was it was a real fun yeah. sort of look at the World Cup. And we went to all the brands, try and get support so we could do studio stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just a no, really. It was just like, why would we want to invest in that? Um, and I was in, in France in packed out stadiums at the World Cup going, people aren't seeing this. But I think that so much of the negative impact of of women's football has come from people seeing the very small minority of people that says no one cares so there's still this thing of like no one cares and there was a 50,000 waiting list for Wembley final no one cares but there's 140,000 people that wanted to access that stadium on the European final day similarly World Cup final and this has been what I've experienced so much over the years it's been the main reason behind people not accessing women's football is accessibility routes, yeah. not knowing that it's yeah. there, not knowing that it's happening. Yeah. We, I was at a semi-final for Manchester United women and all the rhetoric around the stadium was about rugby. All the signage on the way in was about the local rugby team. It's like we're a semi-final of the FA Cup. Accessibility is the primary issue. It's not the brand. Yeah. On the pitch was Ella Toon who chipped the goalkeeper in the European <laughs> final. I mean, like she's a celebrity it was that people don't know it's happening. Yeah. So now brands are recognising that pummeling money into it yeah. isn't going to be the answer. Authenticity and really understanding the game and the fans that want to support the game is crucial. I think maybe one of your summits may have been listing on the BBC Women's Power list, right? Number six, is it? <laughs> yeah. In the UK? I mean, oh my God, what happened? What When you found that out, what, how did you feel? It was three o'clock in the morning, I was in Portland. <laughs> and I was like... <laughs> My mum rang me and she was just screaming. My mum is a, she listens to Women's Hour. Right, okay. And like I forget, I, sometimes I don't know that stuff's a really big deal yeah. because of the pace at which everything's happening. Yeah. And so it's like my family being like, no, this is a really big deal. Yeah. But I honestly think someone must have paid them off because <laughs> I'm sitting <laughs> I'm sitting a place above Lotta Wuben Moy, who yeah. is a centre back for England. But Lotta Wuben Moy changed government legislation to get every young girl in in schools playing football. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I think accolades are, are a funny old thing mm. because yeah. they don't really they don't really do anything to show the journey. Yeah. They're a thing that either exists in a sphere or they're a bit of glass or Point in time, metal right? that yeah, you yeah. can take home with you. Accolades feel really good in the moment, but they don't really def- define me or my journey. Yeah. But we spoke a bit before about credibility and like that's why I lean into it because I think that for me, my primary objective is building credibility because I know I'm credible, but building that credibility so that I can grow my brand and continue to create jobs in women's football and continue to do what I want to do. So it feels nice. And it was like, it was really shocking. And I genuinely was like, no way. (laughs) And also for Leah Williamson to finish top was incredible because it was obviously covering all sport. 
And for me, she she's obviously someone I look up to. She's the England captain. She's an inspiration to so many people. So to finish on a list, even in the same sentence as <laughs> Leah Williamson is like unbelievable. And I've been invited on to Women's Hour to talk, oh. which my mum's like, you wouldn't have had to tell me because I just tune in. <laughs> She's just so buzzing. So like knowing your family, like oh, it's amazing. I'm so excited I'm, for I'm you. It feels feeling. really good. Yeah. And, you know, do you know where your summit is yet? Do you know what your personal summit looks like and where you are on that journey? So hard because the reason I started this was twofold. Like my objective was to grow the women's game. Yeah. And I think people can say that's a cliche or they cannot believe me. I really yeah. don't care if people believe me or not. But genuinely, I thought... This would be a bedroom business that maybe like one day I'd have a little shop um, or something like that. Yeah. And I'd play my part in yeah. the growth of the women's game. It's a, a lot bigger than that now. Um, but still, my focus is the growth of the women's game. And that's it's exciting that it's bigger. But my other objective when I was in a full time job where I was very happy, by the way, and I say happy, I think I, I really want to hammer. I was happy. <laughs> like happy is such a net word. I think my goal is to remain fulfilled. Yeah. If I could have a summit it would be just checking back constantly on on whether I'm feeling fulfilled and whether I feel like the work that I'm doing is causing me fulfillment and also reaching my objective which is to continue the growth of the women's game there probably isn't a summit and anecdotally Ollie who works at Fearless we were in Amsterdam and I presented to the Nike board and and I not because of the summit or not because <laughs> of of the Fearless adventures or the way that uh the investment firm is, is logoed yeah, yeah, with all yeah. of the mountains. I came out of the meeting and I was like, really, I felt really warm. <laughs> <laughs> and we came out of the room and I said to Ollie, oh my God, I feel like I've climbed Mount Everest. And he went, oh, Helen, you're only at base camp. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> thanks, Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know whether to feel really deflated or whether to go, right, let's, let's go. go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I guess that really kind of covers it. Yeah. That like, it feels monumental to be yeah. where I am now. So yeah. anywhere I go from here will be a huge achievement. Exactly. Fantastic. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much, Helen. Thanks for having me. And I hope everyone enjoyed watching this. I mean, you know, I think we can all take inspiration from Helen's ability to balance, you know, her social impact ambition of raising awareness of women's football and delivering what is an amazing business at the same time. Um, if you enjoyed it, please leave a review, uh, rate us, and let us know if there's any particular guests you'd like to see in the future. Thank you. Mm -hmm.